Welcome, my friends, to The Eyes of Mara, a new miniseries from Those Happy Places, all about Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, guess what? <laughs> what, Buddy? We return to the Temple of the Forbidden Eye for one last ride. This concluding episode is entitled, It Belongs in a Museum! Or, there is nothing you can possess that I cannot take away. And this is going to be an exciting one. Yes, I'm really excited to talk about this with you, to wrap up everything that we've been talking about about Indiana Jones Adventure, to talk about what we've learned and the conclusions that we've come to over the last three, now four episodes of the show. Um, it's been so fun talking about it with you and with our listeners online. Um, I, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways, it feels like now we are finally ready to talk about the ride. I mean, we started with the history and development of the ride. We spoke about the way that the ride opened. We moved into the present and talked about how you know, time has not necessarily been kind to the Indiana Jones adventure. And now, at the end of all things, we can finally ask, what is the deal with this iconic attraction? What What is actually happening here? Why is its story important? And where do we see the echoes of its legacy? And perhaps finally, ultimately, what do we want? out of the Indiana Jones adventure. Uh, what do we what do we think it means here now today? Because I got to tell you Alice, after last week's episode, I'm feeling a little totally down on this ride. Like oh. <laughs> I I don't love the idea of setting aside a large portion of my next visit to Disneyland to ride the ride in its current state. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And it's so unfortunate because I do love the ride so much. And truthfully, I think it's got such a hold on me that I think even knowing what I know about the disrepair of the ride and even ex having experienced what we have experienced with this ride, I think I still will set time aside or like go out of my way to get a, a lightning lane for it. You know, I just, I just want I want to capture the experience of Indiana Jones adventure. I want I want to believe that it's going to be better every time I ride it. And and there's an optimistic part of me that thinks that maybe someday that boulder will roll. <laughs> um but but maybe I don't know, maybe I'm kidding myself, but I I still I still want to love this ride and I think that we have touched on a lot of different reasons why the ride is is failing and we've talked about why the ride was a success and we've talked about what came before it to influence its success and we've talked about all of these things about what makes the ride good what makes it not so great at the moment um and we are going to come to a series of conclusions in this episode and um the first one i would like to um present uh, is not a big controversial statement, not a big, um, you know, shocker of a thing. Um, but the the conclusion after recording these episodes with you that I'm going to, to lead with is Indiana Jones Adventure is a good ride that used to be better. And I that's, agree that's with, it. 
that's a that's a strong conclusion a conclusion that is supported by the evidence right it's right. it's a ride that has over time found itself deteriorating for one reason or another that the experience used to be fundamentally different in some ways while also this ride maintains a level of charm and a level of excitement and a level of thrill that it may, means that it's still pretty good um right. And I think that's kind of the idea of it belongs in a museum, kind of as a phrase, right? Like, this is something that was once glorious and important and that, you know, was of significance and that had a lot of cultural relevance to it. And when I think about the phrase it belongs in a museum, what, what I get out of that is this idea that, like, you know, we should preserve these things, even though their time has passed. We should put it up in a display case somewhere and honor its importance and use it kind of as a almost as an educational piece for the future of themed entertainment. Like, <laughs> look at what the Indiana Jones adventure once attained. Look at the beauty of this art form and gain new knowledge from its influence, right? Like, that's what it's belong it belongs in a museum means to me. Like, it's art, put it in a museum. <laughs> it's the Sistine Chapel, except at Disneyland, and it, it, it moves, and you can ride it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I subscribe to that theory in, in some ways, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is a ride that definitely needs polish, uh, and that definitely needs uh, to be given that polish because I think of it as a, and I think we said this in the first episode of this series, I think of it as a transitional ride between the kind of analog and digital ages of theme park storytelling, right? Right. And it, its role in that transition in 1995 is to demonstrate the potential of digital effects while also representing a sort of pinnacle of practical effects. Um, and I think that it, it did do that really well. And I, I sometimes wonder, like, well, if that's its point, and it represents kind of the duality of this moment, much in the way that kind of like Jurassic Park did, and I don't mean the Jurassic Park adventure, and I think we will be getting there. Yes. Um, the Jurassic Park River adventure. I mean Jurassic Park the movie, right? Where Jurassic Park the film is, you know, all about these moments where the dinosaurs are on screen, and some of them are computer-generated, and some of them are puppets, and some of them are puppets that are computer-enhanced. And all of them add charm and spectacle and still read really well and feel amazing to look at and experience today. Not the least of which because of John Williams's amazing score. Hey, that's another parallel. Hey, <laughs> I feel like there's something here where actually like Indiana Jones is ironically the Jurassic Park of theme park rides, <laughs> which is which is amazing because Jurassic Park the river adventure that is should probably be the Jurassic Park of theme park rides, but I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, and I don't know. I, I think that's interesting, right? Like it's, it's, it's that combination of physicality and of, you know, digital technology giving us 
variable ride throughs and uh you know projection effects and fog and black lights and fire and it's like it's kind of everything all at once um and for me that means it's actually still one of the more complete attractions at the disneyland resort it represents kind of all of the things you can have on a theme park ride you know there's turning and dropping and uh rotating and there's uh animatronics and there's projections and there's fire and there's sound and there's a john williams score i mean it's pretty much everything a person needs in a lot of ways they ended up building indiana jones land it's just that it all exists on the one ride it's true and yeah and so much goes into that ride and every day so much goes into maintaining it and running it and keeping it running smoothly and entertaining thousands of guests an hour and it really is like a like a remarkable piece of technology and of entertainment that is i don't know very very difficult to uh to attain and it's difficult to replicate and a lot of rides uh try but it's um some something about it is is really unique and really really special um i want to go back to uh you talked <laughs> you mentioned Jurassic Park the yeah. film and the ride um and for that i wanted to talk about another I don't know if this is another conclusion that that I've come to um, or maybe uh, another question that I would like to propose. But either way, I'm seeing some some parallels here. Uh, There are some some rides out there and there are some experiences for uh, theme park attendees um, that kind of all run in a in a similar kind of parallel from about the same time period. We're looking at your Star Tours. You're looking at Jurassic Park, River Adventure, Indiana Jones. We're the late 80s, early 90s. These rides that are based on these classic films, classic adventure films, um, where where the things they have in common are not limited to their amazing John Williams scores, although that literally cannot <laughs> that is, be overstated. How that amazing is one they of the are. things that makes them all really good. <laughs> Um, but I was thinking about this earlier and I was comparing these rides in, in my head and something, I guess like the conclusion I've come to about the Indiana Jones adventure, the ride is that it's particular brand of storytelling and the story that it has chosen to tell the audience is the fourth Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> yeah. It's not literally because it's not, the, there is Indiana Jones four kingdom of the crystal skull. It's not that I mean that when this ride came out in 1995, it was telling and still tells a completely unique Indiana Jones adventure story. We are given a brand new adventure where some of the pieces match adventures we've already seen. But this is a new setting, a new god that he's running into, a new series of challenges, or rather all the challenges all at once in the same <laughs> temple. Yeah. Um, and we have a plot and we have a setup. We have a reason for going into the temple. We have a climax. We have a conclusion where we escape the temple and defeat the bad guy. You know, we it, it is a full story and like a full film in this in this ride, basically. And I was comparing it to um, the Jurassic Park River Adventure and Star Tours. I was comparing them because those two rides also are telling the st- a story um, but really what they were doing, or at least Star Tours and Jurassic Park, I, 
I would like to say, in their original iteration, their late 80s, early 90s iterations. Yeah, we're not talking this... about The Adventures <laughs> Continue or Jurassic World at the right. moment. Um, they were also telling a story, but they are telling the story from the film. Star Tours is telling you a story where you are on a star tour. <laughs> Um, and I think it's you, actually a stars tour. A stars tour. Um, <laughs> you are on a stars tour, and you are suddenly also doing the trench run of the Death Star, and it, like you are part of the story of Star Wars: A New Hope. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, Endor is referenced. All of these things that are that are exist in the world of. Star Wars as we know it when the ride comes out, right? Jurassic Park River Adventure, same thing. You are riding the ride, you are uh, inside Jurassic Park, and then all of a sudden you're kind of backstage and everything's gone wrong. The Velociraptors escape, the T-Rex escapes, you have to evacuate the park. The events of the film Jurassic Park might as well be happening just over a hill. Like, they are also dealing with the Velociraptors and the T-Rex, the same Velociraptors and the same T-Rex. Um, and But you can't see them, your friends, the characters from the film Jurassic Park, but they might as well be right there. Right. You're seeing and doing everything that they are seeing and doing. And then um, they you say, all right, it's time to evacuate. Get out of here. Life support systems are terminating. And you go down. <laughs> whatever, whatever that means. You're going down a super fun... Um, <laughs> you know, a little drop and that's the end of the ride. Right. But you yeah. have, you are, you were part of the plot of the original Jurassic park, the film. Yeah. Um, in Indiana Jones, you are not part of a, a already existing story. You are not at the end of the story joining Indy while he turns his face away from, um, from the Ark of the Covenant. You are not yeah. watching Indy, an animatronic Indy drink from the Holy Grail. Or, right. or, and bringing water to his dad at the end right. of Last Crusade. You are experiencing a completely new adventure with your friend Indiana Jones. And that is remarkable. It's remarkable how much story and how much thought went into making this ride. The, it's a completely new adventure. This isn't a Fantasyland dark ride where you're watching a film beat by beat by beat. But in like two minutes, right? You are you have a whole different adventure with your friend Indiana Jones, with hints of the thing of the kinds of adventures you like him to do, like running away from rolling boulders or dodging, you know, poison darts and stuff like that. Yeah. You've seen him do stuff like that, but this is unique with a brand new god and a brand new setting and a brand new temple that you've never seen before. And yeah. that is so cool. It's it's something that I wish more attractions had had the uh kind of wherewithal to do um or the the sort of foresight to do right because what what i feel is so good about the indiana jones adventure is that feeling that it could be its own movie like the subtitle is structured you know the subtitle being and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye, right? Right. Um, is structured exactly like the title of an Indiana Jones film. And coming out in 95, the third Indiana Jones film, The Last Crusade, came out in 1989, right? So what we've got here is this feeling that the trilogy had wrapped up. It was time to immortalize it as a theme park attraction. How do we do that? 
the best way to do that is to capture iconic moments from the temple run at the beginning of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and a little bit of the iconography from Temple of Doom and then sprinkle in just some new stuff to make it kind of Mara-tastic, um, <laughs> to make it more Mara-glyphic, uh, and then to just kind of let Indiana Jones be on yet another temple dive, right? And to let the audiences, you know, play along with that. I want to push back a little bit. I think Star Tours and the Jurassic Park River Adventure, while they capture a lot of what we would expect from the original films... There's also something that I've been thinking about a lot with these two attractions in particular that makes me think like, oh, they're kind of like alternate realities, though, right? Like, what if there was, if there just so happened to be a boat going down the river adventure when Jurassic Park uh, went bad? Or what if there just so happened to be a Star Speeder 3000 there when they blew up the Death Star? Like... Dr. Statler and Dr. Grant and all of the characters from Jurassic Park, maybe they're not there, actually. Like, I feel like they're a big enough deal where they would be appearing in the ride. And since they're not, maybe this is kind of a, a different, different Jurassic Park. Or, like, Luke Skywalker isn't there to blow up the Death Star at the end of Star Tours 87, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, like a slightly shifted. And in that way, I think Indiana Jones kind of moves that format forward. It's not like slightly shifted so that you can see all of the cool stuff you remember from the movie it's more like yeah that stuff you remember from the movie that's in like every temple and here's another one um and i think that's <laughs> kind of that's kind of a cool approach right like yeah of course there's going to be a rolling boulder you think there's a think there's a temple in the world with an evil idol in it that's going to try to kill you that doesn't have a rolling boulder <laughs> now who's naive it's you you're a naive you're the naive one the, these places are full of dart tunnels every single one of these places is a dart tunnel nightmare um and i just think that's cool like you you kind of serve the double purpose like capture the iconography of the original thing because that's what people want to see and tell a new story it feels like an advancement past star tours and the Jurassic Park River Adventure. I do want to draw one more parallel. This is so odd. We didn't talk about this in, in prep for this, but you know the other attraction of the era that captured a classic 80s franchise that is greatly beloved that did almost exactly what Indiana Jones did is Back to, <gasps> Back the, to future, the Future the Ride. Oh yeah. my gosh, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like this idea that it's kind of like Back to the Future 2.5 almost. It feels like it happens before Back to the Future 3. Or maybe it kind of happens after Back to the Future 3 because like Doc has established this research institute for future technology, but also Biff is still around and... Biff is trying to mess up the timeline. It's like, it is a new Back to the Future story. It is. It just, it doesn't, I'm not quite sure where it exists in the timeline of the franchise, but also it's a franchise about time travel. So who cares, right? Like, where does <laughs> it take place true. in the time travel? Uh, I don't know, somewhere. You know what? That's <laughs> true. And it really did work for Back to the Future, not just because of the, of the time travel and the extra adventures and stuff, but I think in the same way 
that it works for Indiana Jones and that there's only like the three films, right? Okay, hear me out here. Follow me through this. Yes. We did an entire Those Happy Places episode about the Hogwarts Forbidden Journey, Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey at Hogwarts at Universal Studios, where we complained in the episode about not knowing when in the canon it takes place because the story of Harry Potter is so detailed over the course of seven books and eight films that there's no like room for Harry Potter to have had an extra adventure with you, <laughs> you're, you <laughs> riding the ride, right? There's yeah. no room in the story. So it doesn't take place in any kind of canon. It takes place in all, all the books all at the same time, apparently, where you've got the boys on the Quidditch team, but also a dragon, but also, you know, yeah. the we we did a whole episode on it. It's one of our first episodes that we ever did. Um, and separately, here we are. Like the reason why I think Back to the Future works, why Indiana Jones works, why even Jurassic Park works, is that we have these worlds that can be explored within and these stories that can be told, but they're not told within an inch of their life that there is room for maybe, yeah, maybe between um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he spent some time in India and explored this temple of the Forbidden Eye. That's a totally reasonable thing to expect. Um, maybe, um, you know, uh, maybe in Back to the Future, yeah, Doc has established the Institute of Future Technologies and he's experimenting with time travel. This could have happened, yeah, between between movies two and three or or later. You know, it, it could have happened at any time. It could have happened in the middle of of the second one, for all we know. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, yeah, it's, it's time travel, right? They can be anywhere at any time. It's time travel. So you have this conceit of time travel. You have this conceit of adventurers you have, you know, you can you can tell extra stories within that world because it's not tightened around a, a, a plot where we know every minute of every day of Harry Potter's life, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. and that's what was so confusing about Harry Potter. And that is why I'm going to bring one more ride into this, a more a more modern example of a ride that I also think works in this kind of storytelling. And that's the Transformers ride. <laughs> Um, because you know, you know how much I love the Transformers ride. It's even every time I... we start talking about Universal attractions and uh, we're we're praising their merits, you you have to bring up that the, the Transformers ride the is Transformers actually ride. good because it's actually good, and I could not care less about Transformers as an IP. I don't care about them at all. I didn't watch them growing up. I don't watch them now. Um, but the ride is so fun. It blends a fun uh, combination of screens and practical effects. And it could take place at any time in any of the Transformers universes. You just have your Autobots and you have your um, Decepticons and there's a fight and they are fighting and now you're part of it. And yeah. it doesn't matter when this takes place. It doesn't. Um, because maybe Starscream dies at the end, right? But like he comes back. So of that's Megatron that dies. At oh the no, end. that's Meg Megatron <laughs> that dies at the end. You're right. Yeah. Starscream's also in it. Um, yeah. but yeah, Megatron dies at the end, but he comes back. We know he can come back. He's come. How many times did he come back between the it's cartoon like his, and the live it's action like his films? Main thing is that he comes back, right? right. Like. And so it doesn't matter. You can tell the story that doesn't that that doesn't matter in a bigger universe. And just make it fun 
for people. It doesn't have to sit in, in any one place in canon because it doesn't matter. And yeah. I think Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye, as it opened in 1995, was like the perfect example of this kind of storytelling and this kind of theme park ride. I think that it built the framework and the groundwork for all of these other rides to improve on. Even though Star Tours came first, Star Tours, I think, um, relies too, still too much on like existing canon and yeah. tries to place original Star Tours, tries to place itself in a specific time in canon. Yeah. Um, Jurassic Park kind of also, but yeah, maybe a little bit more nebulous. Um, opens only two years before Indiana Jones does. One year before Indiana Jones does. The film came out two years before Indiana Jones. Right. Um, yeah, we have the film in 93, the ride in 94, and Indiana Jones in 95, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of a golden era for John Williams scored uh, <laughs> rides and attractions. Yes. And of course, we can't, since we, apparently we can't have one conversation without mentioning John Williams score. <laughs> we cannot discount how important that sound is to capturing this, like, this particular kind of adventure being told in a theme yeah. park. And, and I just think that Indiana Jones did it best. And so then I'm, I'm going to have one more conclusion here okay. is that Indiana Jones, the ride should be refurbished, but can, and can, but continue running as it is the story. Keep it the same, just spruce it up and leave it. That's yeah. when I, that's my conclusion. I, I find it I find it difficult to argue against that idea. I mean, like, you know, a question that we might set out to to answer over the course of what remains of this episode is like, what would you replace Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye with? Let's say you want to stay in the IP. Let's say you want to update it in some way. I mean, like, why? Like, to what end? You know, I know there's a there's a new film that's going to come out. But that movie is going to be about, you know, a different era of Indiana Jones. It's not really going to be core to the series aesthetics, core to the series, like, vibes, um, atmosphere. Uh, you know, I, I can tell, even though we know very vanishingly little as of the recording of this episode about this movie, that it's not going to be about Indiana Jones kind of a, a roguish history professor diving into some temple and you know recovering an artifact or something it's going to have implications that are about you know like getting older passing the torch and things mm -hmm. like that like this movie has to have that stuff you have to acknowledge that Harrison Ford as an actor is getting older Spielberg probably wants to acknowledge that as a director he's getting older right there's there's messages that will be in there that aren't really about having a fun adventure with Indiana Jones and that's fine. We'll see how the movie turns out. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull already kind of did it, and it wasn't very good. So, you know, a lot of people consider it to not be one of the core Indiana Jones films. Um, <laughs> you know, that sort of denialism is beyond me at this point. But on the other hand, like, yeah, I consider the trilogy to be a complete package, right? So, like, throw it out because it's a museum piece. Like, it belongs in a museum. So do you. Um... <laughs> That's not really how I feel about it. I, I feel like preservation is probably the key. And, and to return to an earlier point, what makes it so worth preserving? You know, is it 
the combination of digital technology and analog effects? Is it the aesthetics of the thing? Is it the kind of big, chunky 90s stuff that's kind of in there? Or is it the little details? I don't know. I think it's all of it in combination. And there's a lot of debate in, like, theme park Twitter right now about whether rides need more story or more atmosphere. And... You know, we, we think of these classic attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean or the Haunted Mansion, and we're like, well, those are those are mostly atmosphere attractions, oh, yeah. right? And that's part of what makes them so timeless. I would argue that the Indiana Jones adventure, and to a lesser extent, Star Tours even, um, those are actually kind of atmosphere attractions more than they are narrative attractions. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye is a journey through a dank, dark temple that has its own unique smell, that has its own unique sights and sounds, that has an atmosphere and a built-out, lived-in set dressing that just screams that this is a place with stories within it. In the same vein of your Pirates of the Caribbeans and your Haunted Mansions. And when you finally do get on the ride and the quote-unquote story starts up, I mean, Alice, I challenge you to say that exactly what is happening in each room matters to the vibes. It doesn't. <laughs> you didn't even know that there were rats. I did not know there were rats. <laughs> and you still <laughs> loved the attraction, right? It's because true. it's it's more based on vibes and atmosphere yeah. than it is on a particular clear-cut, spelled-out story. Right. It's more of the uh, gestural uh, idea that we have of an Indiana Jones adventure. Yes, he's going to run into creepy crawlies. He's going to run into something culty. He's going to run into <laughs> into into physical danger. Um, and and potential spiritual danger, right? potential spiritual danger. And those things will happen in an Indiana Jones movie in no particular order. And then you're going to have a heroic escape. Yeah. And that's and that's an Indiana Jones movie. That's an Indiana Jones story. And yeah, that's what happens in the ride. And it doesn't actually matter. Mara, Mara's existence and like what he is physically capable of doing or whether or not you did escape with treasure means very, very little in the long run. Yeah. Because it's about like, the vibe of the adventure you had. It doesn't really matter that like Abner Ravenwood isn't involved in this or that um, Marcus Brody is here. Like, it matters that Sala is here because he is the main character with which we interface. But, like, you know, we're not really asking questions about, like, all of the other Indiana Jones side characters. We're not really wondering, like, well, where's Short Round? Like, he's got to be around, right? We know he's part of this adventure, too. Like, no, it's okay. He's not here, you know? It's not an adventure that he's involved in. And, honestly, the other guys are only tangential, and their, their part in the story is available to you if you're stuck in line next to one of their letters and get the chance to read it. And even the Maroglyphics are that same way, right? A gesture at, uh, you know, secret codes and solving puzzles, which is huge in The Last Crusade, actually, right? Oh, yeah. You know, decoding things and paintings and history. It's, like, important 
to have that stuff around in an Indiana Jones adventure. But it's not pointing at a particular Indiana Jones adventure. And Alice, one of the rides that people always bring up when they talk about the Indiana Jones adventure is Rise of the Resistance, right? Yes. Which, let's say up front, is an all-timer, a banger. It's awesome. It's a really, really good attraction. Absolutely. Um, But I've heard it compared unfavorably to the Indiana Jones adventure, where people are like, oh, but Indy's like so good. And Rise is like, yeah, it tells like an okay story and it's like thrilling, but like too much story, actually. There's like too Too many details in there. Yeah. I mean, I can get I can see if like that's not your jam. Yeah. But I think the amount of story in Rise of the Resistance is a major bonus to me. I think I think that um, I wouldn't say it's better because there there are each kind of ride has its place. An atmospheric ride has its place. A story based ride has its place. I think that Rise of the Resistance has a good amount of story that makes me want to play along. When I tell you that I I wept when I found out that Lieutenant Beck was safe. Oh, yeah. I was I was worried about him at the end of my first ride through. Everybody was like, where's Beck? And then like Beck pops his head up and is like, oh, hello, everybody. It's me, (laughs) Lieutenant Beck. I was like, oh, thank God. Beck Beck is here, guys. He's fine. And the rest of the resistance lets you like have the emotional connection with the characters and, and you're you have a mission oh, no, you've been captured. Okay, we're escaping. Kylo Ren's here. You know, there, there, is, there is a plot and story yeah. beats and narrow escapes and then actual escapes. And then, you know, then there are, like, acts to the story, too, where, which, where you're physically on one part of the ride and then get off and then physically enter a different part of the ride. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that has its place in, in theme park storytelling and I think is a really good example yeah. Um, Indiana Jones is not Rise of the Resistance and vice versa. They're different that's, kinds of rides. That's true. They're they're trying to achieve different things, right? Indiana Jones is trying to kind of point at all of these Indiana Jones adventures that might have happened. In a lot of ways, it feels like a hypothetical, right? Like, what if Indy did this? Mm-hmm. Or like, what if Indy had this kind of an adventure? Where Rise of the Resistance is telling you a story that happened. That actually happened where your friends, Poe and Finn and Lieutenant Beck and even Ray and BB-8, they're all there. And they helped this group of recruits escape from First Order clutches, right? In this big space battle at the end, even. They, they even attacked the Star Destroyer on your behalf. They did that for you. Aww. You should be really thankful. And you escaped down to Batu, right? So, I like, am. I am good. I am thankful. <laughs> <laughs> and I every day I wake up thankful for the heroism of Finn and Poe and Ray and all of the resistance members, but especially for Lieutenant Beck, mm-hmm. my most favorite hero of the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> um, actually, <laughs> I think that might be true. <laughs> it's like him and Rex, <laughs> uh, both Captain Rex and Captain Rex. And I, everybody understands what I mean by that. Yes. Um, I think, though, the, the criticism comes from the fact that When you go to ride the Indiana Jones adventure, there is a purposefulness to kind of every moment of the queue experience once you're inside the temple, as well as the attraction itself that just feels, 
it feels a little more old school in that atmospheric storytelling way, right? Where Rise of the Resistance, despite the fact that much of the queue is actually quite impressive, there are parts of it that are kind of just a cave, you know? Uh, there are parts of it where maybe there's some radio chatter or some like lighting effects and stuff like that, but I don't feel like a lot of the cave is harnessed to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like there are notes. I don't feel like there's anything to decode, which actually kind of feels like a little appropriate. Like maybe they could give you like a, not Arabesh translation is fine. That's exactly what you know Maraglyphics is. But maybe it's Arabesh run through a cipher. So maybe there's a whole second step or something like that because you're in a resistance base. Um, and it feels like there's a leaning on technology for that sort of thing in Galaxy's Edge in general, where they kind of want you to be on your phone doing that sort of thing. Right. Um, but on the other hand, like, when you're stuck in the caves, waiting standby for Rise of the Resistance, it doesn't feel as richly alive to me as being stuck in, you know, the Temple of Mara. Uh, it doesn't feel as joyful. Uh, and I feel like when the plot of Rise of the Resistance starts up and the pace picks up and you're getting captured and standing up for interrogation and then getting rescued and all of this, that's all amazing. But it feels like story beat, story beat, story beat, where Indiana Jones feels a little more loosey-goosey. You're kind of writing your own story by delving into this temple. And I think that's kind of the difference in why people have such strong preferences for one or the other. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) And so... It, it comes to us to kind of answer the the second part of the subtitle, right? This question of, there is nothing you can possess that I cannot take away, which is a great little line from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where, where um, Belloc, uh, Indy's French rival, <laughs> uh, tells that to him. The idea being that, like, even when you grasp glory... You know, something will stand in the way to take it from you, you know. It kind of feels like there was this ride, this singular, incredible ride. And one has to wonder if that ride could have existed for any amount of time. And one has to wonder if there is anything we can possess that cannot be taken away by operational necessities or by the wear and tear of decades of running this amazing attraction or by neglect or by insisting on certain effects getting repaired and others not it's complicated right like we had this thing it was maybe forgotten it was maybe lost it was maybe taken whatever it was this ride's legacy is on the line. And Alice, I, I gotta ask you, do you think that there is anything we can possess that cannot be taken away from the Indiana Jones adventure? <sighs> that cannot be taken away from the Indiana Jones adventure? You know, Indiana, what if... Indiana Jones? What if... What if... No. What if they take out Indy? <laughs> they could... They could take... They could take it away. I would rather they didn't. I'd rather they just spruce it up real nice. Uh, if they feel like they need to update it and add some screens, then like I guess, <laughs> I guess they can do that if they want to. Just I'd rather they 
kept Indiana Jones. The fact that they're still making Indiana Jones movies to me says that I think the ride is safe for a while. There may, yes, indeed, come a time where Indiana Jones is no longer a uh, of interest to people coming to visit the park. And nobody cares about that IP anymore. And nobody cares about the character of Indiana Jones anymore. And yeah, it may someday leave us. Um, I would be really sad about it. But it's not about me, is it? I guess it isn't. It's not really about any particular person. It's about a theme park that changes and grows and evolves. A theme park that famously will never be finished. You know, the context of that quote, by the way, Alice, the where Walt Disney said, oh, Disneyland will never be finished, was kind of a way to brush off the fact that at the time Disneyland was literally not ready to open. <laughs> and and people were like, why are people losing their high heels in the still wet, you know, asphalt on opening day? And he's like, well, it's not quite done yet, but it'll probably never be done. Um, that's It's not we're always going to be changing Disneyland. It's like. Yeah, it's not done. It probably won't ever be done because this is a, a crazy person's idea of entertainment. And he was right. Um, <laughs> anyways, but like, you know, this isn't about you or me or our memories. It isn't about anybody's memories or attachment to a now 27 year old attraction. Right. If Adventureland decides it needs a different attraction, if the ride cannot be refurbished well enough to make it remain popular, then there may come a day where the ride has to go away, where it has to be replaced by something. You know, it's funny, though, because I feel like it's actually almost as timeless in many ways as some of the opening day attractions near it i mean like it's certainly aged better than the jungle cruise has i agree and the jungle cruise i think we can also agree is kind of one of those disneyland things that just kind of feels like it's gotta be there indie is a classic you know it still feels modern and it's still big and grand but at this point it has achieved classic status and there aren't a lot of classics that are still attracting hour-long waits every day that have as much atmosphere and that have inspired people to look at it with such granular detail so <laughs> as to notice just a list of dozens of missing, broken, or outdated effects, right? And I think that's part of why I wanted to do Eyes of Mara is when we talk about old attractions at the Disneyland Resort, when we talk about classic attractions, you know, Indy is often kind of lumped in with the newer stuff. And we don't often run into lists of broken or missing effects on Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, once in a while, somebody will say, oh, like, oh, one of the turntables isn't working. Or, like, oh, one of the pirates was missing. Or, oh, the mouths aren't moving the way I would expect them to. And, like, that that is noted. And the assumption is that it's being worked on or that a change is coming. Because Pirates of the Caribbean has evolved a lot in the last 60 
plus years, right? But like, I don't know. Indiana Jones is 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 this ride that people think of as like modern and new, when in a lot of ways it has reached kind of an end point of the life cycle of a lot of attractions. I mean, Alice, the rides and attractions we were comparing it to earlier in the episode are all gone. It's true. Jurassic Park, Back Star to the Tours. Future the Ride, Star Tours 87. They're I mean, all different now. They've or all gone. been, yeah. They've, they've all been drastically updated or replaced. And that's wild. Because which one of these attractions is still standing, despite all of that? Which one of these attractions has gotten some TLC and some cool digital effects, but otherwise is more or less the ride you remember from 95. And it's Indiana Jones, standing alone, a titan among its contemporaries, and saying, what I have to offer is still so important, still worth learning from. I belong in a museum. But, you know, I think Indy is actually a, a timeless classic. I don't actually think there will come a time when they'll want to take Indiana Jones out. Even if everybody forgets the name Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones could become a theme park character. You know, he's broad enough for that. He's an adventurer. He's just a guy on an adventure in a temple, right? And if you just have a guy, a character that everybody has forgotten who happens to be on an adventure in in a temple, in a theme park, People will still buy his hat, honestly. Um, In a lot of ways, Indiana Jones is kind of the perfect IP for that. Because devoid of context, he's still a pastiche, you know? He's still a mashup of the tropes of a 1930s serial adventurer. You know, he has a name and a history and, and a backstory and stuff like that. But in a lot of ways, he's he's more an icon than he is a person. And allowing him to just kind of become the icon of Adventureland means that even removed from the context of the film franchise and the original trilogy being the most important ones, he still makes sense right there in Adventureland. And... So at the end of the day, you know, there is nothing we can possess that cannot be taken away. But I don't think Indy's going anywhere. And I think yeah. that a refurb is far more likely than a, a full tear out replacement. Because I don't think anything exists in the space that is worth replacing him with. I think you're right. So at the end of this, our final episode of the Eyes of Mara, our four-part miniseries about the Indiana Jones adventure and Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. We've talked about its history. We've talked about its influences. We've talked about what it has influenced and how the theme park world has changed since Indiana Jones has, has come into being. We talked about the films. We talked about comparable rides. We've talked about rides that cannot be compared. And at the end of it, we have decided that Indiana Jones the Ride is to be protected. (laughs) Indiana Jones the Ride needs work. 
Indiana Jones, the ride has become a symbol rather than it an actual, you know, just a guy played by Harrison Ford who's an <laughs> adventurer, right? He's a symbol of adventures and a symbol of adventure land. Mm-hmm. And, and the ride is imperfect, but special. And yeah. we've spent four episodes going over it, beat by beat. And at the end, we decide that it's so special that it's worth preserving. It's art. It's art. You know, it's messy. It's it's, it's singular. It, it's literature. It's literature. It, it is of its time. It is unique. And it is a platform upon which to build future works. And it has been it has become that. And this temple, for all of its faults, and for all of its hubris, rotating doors and ice machines. <laughs> this temple holds secrets and truths worth remembering. And if there were a museum of theme park rides and attractions that you could visit. I think it should be in there. I also think that it doesn't belong in a museum. I think it belongs in Disneyland. I think it belongs in one of the most popular, most visited theme parks on the face of the planet. I think it belongs in the original Disney park as one of its flagship attractions. And I think it might not be living that legacy at the moment but I think that there will come a time when it does I think there will be a refurb that brings it to what we remember it being and I'm hopeful for that day Yeah. and I also seek that future so uh, Mara please <laughs> lift the curtain of time show me my destiny we gotta know if the <laughs> snake moves again please we might need uh, quite a bit of treasure from the treasure room to fund <laughs> to fund the reverbs we want but you know well Alice it sounds like our conversation about Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye has come to an end but the conversation will always continue on the internet the adventures continue online. If you want to talk about this attraction or any of the attractions that we have mentioned on this or any of our other episodes, you can always find us on the internet. I'm always on Twitter. My handle is at buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I am on Twitter, TikTok, and on Instagram at Alice White THP for those happy places. And Alice, if people like what we do, like what they heard, and want to support us monetarily so that we can do more episodes of Those Happy Places or more mini-series like this one, Eyes of Mara, uh, where should they go to support us in that? Well, sure. You can support us on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Those Happy Places is the website to go to. 
there are bonus mini episodes and blog posts and chances to get stickers and postcards and <laughs> all sorts of fun stuff if you head on over once again that website is patreon.com slash those happy places and Alice, I am going to add some music to this episode. Ooh, and you would have gotten that music from, mm, I'm going to guess, somewhere pretty great. Yeah, uh, the theme music for Eyes of Mara is called There Will Come a Time. The song comes to us from an artist called Halizna CC0. It is under a Creative Commons license that actually places it in the public domain. Which means that, Alice, that song actually belongs to you and me and everybody listening. So that's pretty cool. I love that. I love that. It's such a great song, a great tune. You've done a great job with the music of this show. Thank you so much. And the rest of the music is from Kevin McLeod. His website is incompetech.com. You can find all of the track names as well as the licensing information in the show notes. And I'm hearing another track uh, ramping up in the background right now. One of my favorite songs of all time. Is that Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin? It sure is. You can find this track and many other amazing tunes by the Feet Warmers on their website, CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. Alice, thank you so much for doing this miniseries with me. It has been an absolutely wild ride. Totally apt for the ride that we have been talking about all of this time. I feel like we have truly honored the history, legacy, and future of the Indiana Jones adventure. Absolutely. This was so much fun to make with you. I love talking about theme parks with you. I feel like we should do it all the time. But... Uh, unfortunately, we can't do it all the time, and uh, which is to say that we are go about to go on another hiatus. So we finished this miniseries, and before our next series of episodes, we're going to take a little bit of time off. So if you don't see us in your feed next week, don't worry, we'll be back uh, with some more standard episodes of Those Happy Places and yet another miniseries on the way. Yeah, uh, look forward to those. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your patience while we take a short break. Making these episodes takes a lot of time and effort, as I'm sure everybody listening is aware or can imagine. Uh, so thank you for your listenership, and we will be back in your feeds as soon as we are able to be. And to everyone out there, I say, X never ever marks the spot. <laughs>